This is Arby. And this is Michael. And you're listening to Powerverse. A weekly look at what it means to be gay and queer in the world today. Get into it. Penny. <laughs> On this episode of Powerverse, my leg would literally wrap around three times. So it was just like, you are so damn thin. Like, you can't even just cross at the knee. You got to cross at the knee, the calf, and the ankle. All right. Here we are, Arby. Here we are. Can you believe it? I'm pinching myself a bit. I'm pinching myself a little bit, too. We are sitting in a recording studio. I think uh, it's crazy to think that just over six weeks ago, we were in the Castro in San Francisco, and now we're in Portland, Oregon, recording our first episode of Powerverse. I know. It's uh, it's really wild to think about how we've come to this point. Do you remember six weeks ago? Is that a joke at my memory, or are you really <laughs> asking me <laughs> Um, yes, of course, I remember six weeks ago. We were just wrapping up Burning Man. You were in San Francisco. Um, you were there to visit friends. It was the end of Folsom Week, which we will talk about <laughs> soon. And um, we uh, came up with this idea. So let's break it down. Definitely. Let's deconstruct Powerverse and how that applies to, to us and how we hope that will apply to our listeners. I mean, Powerverse, yes, is like first and foremost, it's a title that's used to describe a gay man's sexual preference, right? You could be a power bottom, right? And a power bottom is someone that really likes to be fucked. And a power top is someone that really likes to, uh, you know, be on top. Whereas a Powerverse refers to someone who likes to do both. And not only that, a Powerverse doesn't really care about being a top or a bottom, they just want their sex to be passionate and to be strong and playful, maybe present. Definitely present and enjoyable. I think being a power versus having the most empathetic sex, hmm. if you will. Right. So that's definitely the first part. Is being a power versus sexual thing? Is it about sex? Of course it's about sex. And this podcast is about sex. But that's not all that it means. Powerverse also refers to this concept, and I, we found this in an Urban Dictionary post from 2011 that someone in Portland actually wrote. And they said that a Powerverse is like a universe. It's a community of queer and gay men who enjoy having sex. And I think that that really comes from a sex-positive perspective. And we, I mean, we will talk about sex positivity, but I think in our relationship and in our friendship, sex positivity is kind of an underlying rule of how we approach our conversations about sex and love in relationship, right? Definitely, and I think what what Powerverse does is, yes, it, it is sexual in nature, but but what it aims to achieve is it's a, it's a, a step beyond sex. Exactly, and I'm glad you said that. It's more than a sexual preference. I think that this is what we're trying to add to this definition of Powerverse. It is referring to this mindset that we as gay and queer men do not need to limit ourselves from any experience that we have in our life, that we are entitled and have the right to have it all in our lives. And I think that we believe, and we're going to spend you know, each episode exploring this possibility that exists, that we as gay men and as lesbians and as queers and trans people and gender fluid people and... And people figuring it out. And people figuring it out. And even our straight friends and our, you know, our lady friends that don't enjoy having sex with people of the same sex, that all of us have the right 
to make of our lives what we want them to be and that we can have it all in our lives. Before we begin, I, I think that we just need to say we do not consider ourselves experts on any subject and we're not pretending to be. We are literally just two friends in their late 20s and we're hoping as we explore these topics and these themes that have emerged in our lives that you, all of our lovely listeners, can uh, also be able to unpack, you know, the shit that's going on in your life. I think I thought I, I, you put you eloquently summed that up for us. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Powerverse, guys. The podcast. Welcome. Welcome. So this is episode one. This is Mask for Mask. And we uh, we titled this episode Mask for Mask because we really wanted to explore a topic that covers a lot of ground for us in our own lives, but also for the community, I think, in general, which is this hyper-masculinity. And uh, the title is obviously a nod to this hookup app culture that permeates our life. And we're not talking about hookup apps today. We will in a future episode. But um, I think one of the most frequent phrases seen on Grindr or on uh, Hornet or Scruff. Or Tinder. Or Tinder. Or really anywhere is this mask for mask. Uh, or rather, I'm a masculine man and I am only looking for someone else who is masculine as well. I don't know. Are there examples that you've had? I was going to just pull up Grindr right now and just see if I can find an example for us. You know, Portland's probably not the... Honestly, Portland is kind of like anti-mask. They're very femme-heavy, so... <laughs> Portland's been really liking me. <laughs> you, literally, you literally tripled the black population by showing up here. <laughs> here we go, right here. It's a it's a couple, male, two, a, a guy and a girl. So he's bisexual. So he's bisexual. Masculine only. Must be into girls. No, I won't bottom. Let's have a threesome. I mean... I'm not going to try with you. <laughs> I'm not worried about yeah, you. No, You've got other shit to talk. Um, here, I think that I've noticed this in a lot of uh, in other cities more than I noticed. I think in LA and in New York. Get in New York. Uh, in the LA's. Yeah, I mean, and it's not that it's not here in Portland. There are people here that put on their profile, "I am mask, mask for mask, mask guys only," um, and so we really wanted to take apart why do we seek out masculinity. And I think a lot has been said and a lot has been written and talked about with mask for mask culture. Um, so what does it even mean to be, I mean, what do you think? What does it mean to be masculine? I think that your definition of masculinity is a rolling, ever evolving definition. You know, if like when I think about masculinity and what my definition of masculinity means for me today, it's an acceptance of myself and it ha doesn't have to do with any associated attributes that require the validation of other men. It's more full confidence and me being me portraying my full self. And if that means I'm highly emotional or things that would be considered quote unquote not masculine, I think that that's masculine because I am my full self and I'm confident in who, who I am. But what masculinity was for me Prior, it was a, it was something that I thought was learned, and um, masculinity to me was mimicking what I thought were the characteristics of what was supposed to be a man. Things that I saw in my father and my uncles, the way they would talk about women and sports. It was mimicking other men's behavior and seeking validation from them. That that's where it started. Right. Well, and I think that being masculine more than anything else, I think is not appearing feminine, right? Yes. And I think you can define masculinity even more by not 
looking like a woman or not doing what women do, not acting or feeling or communicating in the way that a woman... Not being femme. Right. You know, if I look back at my childhood, um, moments where I was told to act like a man were moments where I was doing things that were perceived to be very feminine. How and I walked or... How I talked. How I talked. Or how I held my hands or my wrists or... Right. How I crossed my legs was a big one for me. So I always... I was balls out. You had to be balls out. You can't be... <laughs> no, man. You couldn't cross your leg over. I crossed my legs three times. My leg would literally wrap around three times. So it was just like, you are so damn thin. Like, you can't even just cross at the knee. You got to cross at the knee, the calf, and the ankle. Uh, my wrists were a big one, too. I mean, I... These little faggoty wrists today <laughs> if you could have seen how strong they used to be it's sad to think about how much energy went into appearing masculine how much mental and physical energy that we i spent at least really making sure that i had this appearance of being a masculine man so there's this society definition of masculinity which associates with behaviors that are more common amongst men that are not feminine. And then there's this definition of masculinity in the context of being gay. I'm not bashing masculinity. No. Like masculinity is a thing. My dad is masculine. My right. dad is a straight masculine man. I just don't think that, I don't have any time for anyone that is going to, I mean, I think what is kind of gross about this hyper-masculinity in our, in this whole mask for mask culture is that we have spent so much time as gay people already coming to terms with who we are and being comfortable with who we are and embracing whatever naturally comes to us, the feminine, the masculine, whatever parts those are, that then to place us all into boxes again and to say, I only want this type of person or I only want to be, you know, I only want to have sex with a masculine man. It just kind of sets us back as, as a community. It's just as... On my journey of what masculinity means and my, my walk as a gay man, having been guilty of seeking out and being attracted to, and I don't know if I could call it guilt because it's uh, it's an attraction. There's a difference. I think there's a difference between being naturally attracted to masculine men because I am attracted to masculinity and then seeking that out as a preference and limiting my interactions to that one type. But what I've realized is that it's a bit disingenuous because as you were saying, we don't need to put on these costumes. We've worked so hard to be who we are. And nine times out of 10, when someone is saying they're masked, they're acting in a way that is truly not who they are. Well, when someone says, I'm a masculine person, I always feel like it's a dog whistle for I'm going to be as straight acting as possible. I'm going to be as passable as possible, right? Which is inherently internalized homophobia. It's this idea that somehow appearing gay or appearing feminine is a bad thing. It literally is patriarchal sexism because it's saying that being feminine is negative, is inherently negative. And it's unattractive. And it's unattractive. And it's not. There's beauty in, in, in the femme. And I think, I think I have to call myself out of my own bullshit though too. I mean, I'll ask you, are there times that you've rejected someone because they weren't masculine enough? A hundred percent with anything, and, and this is also what we're unpacking in Powerverse, is that the goal is to always make yourself um, more awake or more conscious to, to these ingrained- Inclinations? In, these like in, ingrained inclinations that are more harmful than good. So yes, just to answer that, there have definitely been situations where I've rejected someone because they didn't fit 
what I thought was attractive, which usually tended to be, tends to be what I view as someone very masculine. Yeah. And for you, where do you think you fall on the spectrum of masculinity? I think I'm a faggot. <laughs> <laughs> I am a faggot. I'm a big faggoty fag, faggot, faggot. And I love myself for that. But I also am, you know, I'm a Gemini, so I'm everything. I am. I, I, I feel like we're both Gemini. We're both Gemini's, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm a Gemini. I think that there's beauty in the masculine and beauty in the feminine. So when I bring back me, now that we're moving on towards sexual attraction, mm -hmm. in which I'm glad you brought up, and how masculinity fits in sexual, sexual attraction, I think that we first must be honest that we, as gay men, the way you think about sexual attraction, it first starts off that we're attracted to these physical, biological features these manly features. That's why I'm gay. I like a dick. Mm -hmm. I like balls. I like a man's ass. You know, like I, these are manly features. And then the masculinity piece comes in. It's psychological. And then that's when aesthetics and how you act or how you portray yourself. And then that's where you kind of create these different desires. I'm always challenging myself to not limit people's aesthetics to being, to fitting into a quote unquote masculine box. And Frankly, moving to San Francisco has really helped me evolve from a fixed attraction based on these quote-unquote hyper-masculine aesthetics or masculine aesthetics. And now, having lived in a place like San Francisco and continuously challenging myself to see the beauty in all people, I've noticed how much it doesn't matter. And I've met and had amazing hookups or encounters with guys that would be considered very masculine. And I've had equally hot and mind-bending moments with guys that would exist on the spectrum of very femme. And San Francisco has really helped me in that way. Well, I mean, as we're sitting here talking, I'm just thinking, why would we limit ourselves from any person? What's fucked up about us <laughs> as men is that we're so, like you said, you're right. When we're first attracted to someone, it is a pure, almost purely physical thing, right? Why are we, why wouldn't we want to open up like the infinite possibility of connection that is there when you stop limiting yourself and stop putting men into boxes? I think that it's something that we should move past and move through and get over ourselves. I mean, you like what you like, I get it. You like what you like. I, I certainly know what I like. It's kind of similar to, it's just comfortable, it's being comfortable with challenging your psyche to think outside of the box and, and what, what else you'd be attracted to. And I think that it's just, it, it also comes with maturity. And it's kind of like, this is a very cheap way to think about it, but it's like when you meet people and they're like, oh, I only eat X, Y, and Z, or I would never try Japanese, or I, I, I don't like Burmese food, and, and, and it's like you don't really know until you, you try it, or, or you explore, not to, to, to compare everything to food, but like, until you open your mind and actually have an encounter, then you won't know. Am I hungry? So you've been feasting, is what you're telling me. You've been feasting in San Francisco. I mean, San I went to the buffet and I tried every well, single you know, San dish. San Francisco has a really great food. Too. They do have a great food. Portland does if too. You know what I mean? Yeah, Portland does too. If you like white chicken, you can have it in every variety in Portland. Recently, Arby and I attended the Folsom Street Fair, which for me was a very big lesson in hyper-masculinity. And for people that don't know what Folsom Street Fair is, again, go on our Facebook or go on our Instagram and you'll see some photos from that weekend. But it is a fetish and BDSM street fair that happens every single year in San Francisco. It's not only for gay or queer people, but there's a, I mean, 
the BDSM world has a lot of of gay and queer people in it. When I first moved to San Francisco from New York, and I go to Folsom in September, and it's like my first time going to Folsom, and it's like, this is gonna be really intense. You know, like, this is super gay, or, you know, this is really heavy, and it is. Folsom is like this huge celebration of fetish, kink, manliness, leather, and, so my f- first time going, I like walking around and I'm seeing the gagging, the whipping, the blood, the this, the that. And I'm like, whoa, mm. I never. <laughs> I'm like, this is really crazy. This is really in- intense for me. And then I'm also being a little judgmental. And I'm like, whoa, did I also just land myself in like an 80s gay porno? Like people still do this? And then this year comes around and I'm dressed in mesh and leather and my ass is out and I'm celebrating alongside these men in understanding the beauty of what Folsom is trying to show and and celebrating kink and carnality and hedonism and this sexual expression, which I closely associate with my views on sex positivity. But at the same time, you know, Folsom is largely very masculine in appearance. Right. Well, and I think... Your first view. For sure. On a surface level. Well, and for me, being my first time attending Folsom Street Fair, I was overwhelmed by how masculine it was. Not... I wasn't overwhelmed by the sex, necessarily. (laughs) My eyes cannot unsee some things that I saw. But I was overwhelmed by all of the muscle. It's It's a muscle, jock, big barrel-chested abs for days environment that as someone who is uh, fairly body positive about myself, I mean, look, I know my strengths. (laughs) It's not my chest. (laughs) (laughs) But what I always do when I'm in any type of situation when I feel even slightly uncomfortable is I like to subvert the entire fucking thing. So You trolled I trolled Folsom Street for this year. I dressed as a high femme bitch. So I was wearing a blonde wig, red lipstick, a jock strap, a ladies members only jacket, and I carried around a Louis Vuitton purse and had on a hat and big old glasses. I looked amazing, if I do say so myself. I like I like I actually really like this alter ego of you. Right. And I was dressed in all white in an environment where everyone was wearing dark black leather. They were so masculine. Um and I have to admit that there was part of me that was not uncomfortable, but there were so many eyes on me because I was so not fulsome. Such an anomaly to the typical fulsome attendee. Exactly. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to be the center of attention, and I got exactly what I wanted. And I won Folsom, and everyone else lost it. (laughs) Except for the guy that had the braces. Mr. 13? Mr. 13. Lucky 13. No, you were going to be lucky 13. I was going to be lucky 13. Um, Lucky number 13. uh, I think being in that environment really gave me an even greater appreciation for respecting my femininity and owning that femme side of me and not being afraid to just be a lady lady and i'm not a i'm not a woman i'm not at all i'm a man i wouldn't call myself gender fluid i enjoy having a penis i i am a man i feel like Mm -hmm. a man but i also really was happy that i was walking around with a louis purse and just being a little bitch and like smiling and blowing kisses and just and you know twirling around like a little girl or whatever it was you know getting those looks and seeing those people look at me and think like you i mean and there were guys definitely looked at me like 
what the fuck is that yeah. thing walking <laughs> around? But it's Folsom kind of Street interesting fan. also because San Francisco celebrates the spectrum of um, identity of being gay, being queer, being masculine, being feminine. And a lot of the, the attendees at Folsom are from all around the world, so they come with their own prepackaged ideas around what masculinity is. But I think it's very much a facade. For sure. Do you think that the men there are, in their day-to-day, they're only seeking masculine men? I mean, look, honestly, like, it's a fetish festival. Right. I, I wasn't, I'm not, like, it wasn't like I was walking around like, oh, God, yeah. these guys are such horrible people. That d-. No, I didn't feel that way at all. But people were going there to play a part, right? Mm-hmm. Play a and role. To, and to indulge themselves. A fantasy. It, right. That's exactly what it is. And so I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean... Don't get me twisted. I knew exactly what I was doing when I put on that lipstick and put on that purse and walked out on Folsom Street dressed that way that day. Do you know what time it is, Arby? It's that time of the day. (laughs) When we discuss our hottest hookup of of the the week. week. (laughs) Or what we thought was the hottest hookup of the week. Exactly. So... Uh, Each week, usually at the beginning of each episode, we're going to share with you the hottest hookup that we had in the last week. And this could be a hookup, it could be a date, perhaps it's the hottest celibacy of the week as well. Yeah, and I'm totally not discarding self-affection here. Oh, of course not. You know, personal abuse sessions are okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, for this week though, we do want to give a little Halloween hookup recap if you will. So for this Halloween, I was in New York City. Yes, and I stayed in San Francisco. I did not make my way over to Gotham. (laughs) So I went to the most amazing, beautiful wedding of two friends of mine. It was gorgeous, elaborate, probably the greatest wedding I've ever been to in my entire life. And it was a Halloween wedding. So it was a dress up Halloween wedding. Uh, I was dressed naturally as a nun because <laughs> it was a Catholic wedding. So I figured I'd dress up. You can look at our Facebook page <laughs> and see the photo of, a, of me dressed up as a nun. Uh, and then afterwards, though, I uh, ended up at a dark <laughs> warehouse. This party is pretty uh Infamous, like this is the this 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 Halloween party that right. you attended is is one of the most anticipated warehouse um, parties in the music scene of the of, year of the year. For I sure. would say yeah, and you were there as a nun, and I was dressed up as a nun. <laughs> um, it actually served kind of as the official after party of the wedding. Uh, so I walked in the door, and immediately this gentleman <laughs> came up to me. And he was gorgeous. He's a beautiful Cuban man with a beautiful, hairy little Cuban chest. He was probably six foot two. I'm on the shorter side, for those of you that don't know me. Uh, And he really wanted me. And within 20 minutes of, of us being there, you know, he whispered in my ear, let's go home to your place. And I said, you don't know what this party is. Yeah, do you, you? you don't know where you are. Uh, I'm not going home for a while. So that was around seven when he found me. One of the things that I really enjoy about New York's energy and New York's hookup culture is that ability to feel this, how hot moments can happen in a flash. Mm-hmm. And everyone, for some reason in New York, takes on this tone of almost like entitlement where they think like, oh, 
a piece of meat has just walked in. Mm -hmm. Let me catch it and grill it and take it home with me immediately. You know, instead of taking a second to decide, oh, maybe I'm gonna get to know this guy or like have a chat. It's like, hey, hot, hot nun that just walked in. <laughs> I got some confessions. We're leaving. <laughs> And I do have to admit, you know, I was, there was the part of me that really liked being chased and being pursued, but at the same time as well, like what you were saying, I didn't want to give him what he wanted right away. I wanted him to have to work for it a little bit as well. Even though he was gorgeous and beautiful, I wasn't gonna... You definitely wanted him to work for it, but you definitely wanted to dance as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> you definitely wanted to stay and party. A little exactly. Bit. I mean, I had showed up at what is my one of my favorite parties of the year, and this party was going to go until the evening, and I wanted to be there with my friends, enjoying. You know, I I don't go to parties to to hook up. I really don't. I don't. My impetus for going out is not to find someone to go home with. If it happens, it's always like a bonus to the evening. You're so evolved. Thank you. I'm getting there. <laughs> You're almost there. <laughs> I want to go and dance and have fun. And th that is like church in a way, right? You're yeah. going to commune with your friends and leave yourself on the dance floor. And so I, I said, you're beautiful. There's a high likelihood that I want to go home with you. But I want to dance first. So six hours later, <laughs> <laughs> it was almost two o'clock and he came up to me and he just had this look on his face like, we need to go. Captain, when are we landing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I said, okay, baby, let's go. Let's go. And uh, yeah. so we, I finally took him home. Bless his soul. <laughs> and it was some of the most present sex that I've had in a long, long time. And there's a few reasons why. He was really, 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 really committed to maintaining eye contact for most of the experience. And so whenever we were doing anything, he wanted to see my eyes. And I thought that that was really, it was challenging, but it was also so present. And we were so there in that moment together mm -hmm. that I felt really safe. And in fact, I think I said that to him at one point. I was like, I feel really safe with you right now. Thank you. That's awesome. And I did, I really liked that. Um, also, he had this really interesting communication style that at first I thought was a little odd, but then uh, he said, I'm not going to, well, he had his mouth full, so he, <laughs> he couldn't talk. And so he said, instead of saying I'm enjoying something, when I'm really enjoying something, I'm going to tap you three times. So we started doing this to each other where we were you know, you would be feeling something really intensely and then you'd get this like small little affirmation of like, yes, I really like this too. And it was nonverbal and just this like slight touch. And it was, at first I was skeptical of it. And then I just, I loved it. I loved knowing that the, my sexual partner was enjoying what was happening. And it's, you know, it's, it wasn't like a moan. It wasn't like a, uh, it, it was a simple way of checking in with one another. What? Are you anti? -mon? No, not at all. I don't mind a moan. I just don't like the theatricality of it sometimes. Yeah. As long as it's not theatrical. Like you don't like it. Oh my god. Well, if you're feeling it, feel it. I just. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I didn't mean it. It's yeah, stupid. Sometimes it is theatrical. This it is very interesting. The 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 tap. Tell me more about this. Well, like I said, his mouth was full. <laughs> So this was a useful tactic. It was a useful tactic for him to use. And I don't think that I'm, I'm obviously not the first person that he's done it with. I don't think he thought of it in the moment. Mm -hmm. He just stopped what we were doing and he said, 
from now on, I'm going to tap you three times if I am enjoying it. And if you're enjoying what you're feeling, you should tap me too. That's hot for a variety of reasons because when you first mentioned this just now, I was like, okay, would I take that as cheesy? Granted, this is your sexual experience. Mm-hmm. But then the more I'm thinking about it, like the beauty of sex is that feedback. Right. And finding a way to have feedback in a sexual, um, where you're engaging in the act of hooking up. Right. Well, and it also, you know what it was? It's that the sex wasn't only, it wasn't a, it was a very selfless sex in the sense that I think both of us really cared, even though we had just met each other, we really did care about making sure the other one was enjoying themselves and communicating. He did challenge me. And I will say without getting into too much detail, he really pushed my limits. I think that part of that was that he felt very safe in that moment as well to push me to try things that I just did not want to do catholic guilt catholic guilt possibly (laughs) there maybe was some guilt i just wasn't into what he was into Uh, and in fact there was a moment where i i felt a little bit fetishized um which i kind of processed and communicated to him in a way that made it made it pretty clear like I don't want to, I don't want to do that and I don't want to be asked to, to do that anymore. And eventually he got it. I mean he understood, but I could tell that he he was he was he was trying to push it. He was trying to to push, push it, it literally. literally. <laughs> this is certainly hot and I already know. I've seen the photos. This guy's a gorgeous man. Mm-hmm. I think what you took away and what made this a hot hookup was that there was this sense of attentiveness and you it was a very present sex Mm -hmm. it was focused and there was this consistent feedback Mm -hmm. so you were in the moment of it you were connected throughout this sexual experience most of the time whereas i know sometimes you can have sex and it can be a very disconnected experience or just like a disconnected uh fuck honestly you know like i mean i've been in I've had moments where I'm looking out the window and I'm I, I'm trying to figure out which state bird is in this place. <laughs> <laughs> and like so like he kept the attention you guys get the attention on each other. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was really it was really wonderful. And <sighs> thank you New York. Thank you New York for always giving me what I need. <laughs> so, that was my, that was me. Uh so Arby Tell me about... Uh... I was on the bench. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> so Arby was in the penalty box for Halloween, um, unfortunately. So... A few souls were saved that night. Exactly. It was probably for the for the good of San Francisco, to be honest. <laughs> Rude! I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, yeah, my, my Halloween was pretty PG. I had a lot of fun. Heard some great music. I hooked up. But I wouldn't qualify. I wouldn't say any of the hookups that I had in, in that moment were hot. Right. You know, I was a makeout whore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And good for you. Yeah. Way to, Way to yeah. make it work. Way to make it work. Thanks for sticking with us so far, guys. We're really happy to have Andy Simmons, creator of Instagram account at Hey Rooney, with us today. 
25-year-old illustrator Andy Simmons, known for his fantastically subversive Instagram account, at Hey Rooney, merges the hyper-masculine ideals that so many gay men crave with his love of a feminine pop aesthetic that's more related to Barbie's pink obsession. Andy, born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and recently relocated to New York City, focuses his work on challenging conventions of what it means to be gay and queer and promoting shameless self-love. His illustrated series, including Essen Femme, Bubblegum Femme, and more, challenge the notion of what it means to be masculine, combining a mild jock fetish with bright, bubbly typography and distinct hyper-masculine illustrations. Andy and I both attended the same university for undergrad, and he's one of my favorite people. And we're so <laughs> happy to have him on the inaugural episode of Powerverse. So welcome, Andy. Thank you. So just to begin, how did At Hey Rooney come into existence? I was studying graphic design at BYU, and okay. so typography was like something I was very interested in, and still am. And then, yeah, it started as just like hand lettering, I guess, is my was I guess my artistic introduction to Instagram. Within about a year of starting that, I had come out and found that my experience with my sexuality started bleeding into my artwork and became much more queer lettering at first and then kind of portraits and now it's kind of somewhere in between. I'm a bit fascinated by lettering and it kind of just goes back to grade school. I don't know if anyone else in the room was kind of teased, but I remember one of the first times that I started realizing things about my sexuality or my identity is because of the way I write. Right. Like, I will never forget handing in like papers in third grade when you were going through those hardcore handwriting classes and girls and guys being like, you write like a chick or you <laughs> oh write Oh my God, yes. And I'm just like, what the hell does that mean? Like, damn, the first you say you walk like one, now I write like one. What does writing like a chick look like? I totally relate to that as well. Growing up, I remember writing, like, it was like such a thing to, like, write notes to your friends and everything. And I remember writing in, like, different styles and fonts. And after a while, kind of realizing that a lot of them were kind of, like, girly or looked like girl handwriting. And that was really interesting to get feedback about. <laughs> So what do you feel like your work is exploring? Are you trying to say something about masculinity and femininity, or is it just kind of like evolved into a statement that you've naturally made? I don't think at the onset I was really trying to say something. I didn't really have an objective for what I was doing. It's developed into it, but as I've grown into it now, it's, I am trying to say something about, like you said, like what it means to be masculine and whether that's important or relevant at all. And embracing both masculinity and femininity or trying to share that it just it's not that serious these mask for mask boys just don't get it you know arby and i both have this really innate kind of tension between the two of us because he is this very strong masculine self appearance <laughs> and also appears in appearance pretty, appears pretty masculine where i think i spent so many years in the closet really trying to appear masculine that i think sometimes now i just kind of like fuck it i'm gonna be this high femme bitch that walks or, yes. around and doesn't give a fuck about what people think. I'm going to go to Folsom Street Fair and put on <laughs> red lipstick and like a ladies overcoat and I'm going to walk around and give you my life because, you know, fuck masculinity. I mean, I think what's interesting is that we often view masculinity and femininity in a very binary way, right? Like you're either masculine or you are feminine. But there's obviously room for a lot of gray. So I, I guess I'm interested, like, what masculine traits do you like to embrace and what feminine traits do you embrace? And tell us about your gray, the gray that you live in. Yeah, it's it's hard. This is like a concept that I, it's hard for me to, I don't know, articulate, but it's almost like I don't think there's like a masculine 
or a feminine. I just try to be myself and there are certain things that will come across as masculine and there are certain things that will come across as feminine, but it's just me being me. Like, and I do like, I love having my goddamn mustache all the time. And it's like something, I guess that's like a very Burt Reynolds-y desire and that's masculine, but I, these wrists are not locked up. They're flopping all over and I am very expressive and have a high voice and I I love that I there's nothing for example about that I would ever want to like downplay I really embrace my flamboyance as well but that flamboyance do you feel like it's in direct response to maybe the more conservative upbringing or the conservative environment in which you grew up Mormonism is so rooted in like gender roles and appearances is it a reaction to that or is it I think yes and no I mean, I always have been, I think anyone even that knew me as a kid would describe me as dramatic. And so flamboyance or, or just being dramatic has always been in my nature. Um, but I think, yeah, I, and you might relate to this as well, but having been in the closet for so long and like a very intense, painful closet at that kind of, when you come out, it's like, it's not that I'm trying to be something I'm not by any means. I'm just fully embracing, you know, fucking with gender roles, which I wasn't allowed to do before. And I, and I enjoy that rebellion. And that's part of why I am the way I am and why I behave the way I do. Did a little bit of that rebellion or that expression, is that seen through your, your, your unabashed love or obsession with the color pink? Didn't realize this, honestly, until recently, that I... I guess from like ages what four to seven I like loved Barbies that was like my thing my parents as conservative as they were for some reason let me have Barbies and that I like <laughs> loved that and then as I started making like as queerness started to I don't know creep into my artwork and become part of it I don't really know where or how I landed on pink but something about it I fell in love with and it's almost like I've reverted back to that like Barbie pink love of my childhood. I just I just really connect with the color and what it means. Obviously it's just a gorgeous ass color but also what loving that color means being a man and who cares if it's a girly color. Maybe it is and I still love it. I grew up in a household with five other brothers and sisters and we were fortunate enough to have like our own toy selection and I definitely had the stereotypical action figures which I was into and dinosaurs but I was always into my sister's life-size Barbies you know like I was right along with her like wait let's braid her hair let's play with it you know just the expression (laughs) of it and I don't know if you did like the life-size ones and we would have our Barbie time Uh and I remember thinking I love these Barbies and mentioning it to friends and they were like, yo, dude, why are you playing with Barbies? Hmm. And, you know, that's when that, that, that. It's that, almost um, like you didn't know it was like. starts to set in yeah. who you are. You know, you then you start associating these concepts of gender roles. Like, oh, I can't play with Barbies, but I really like them. I don't know if I, how dark I want to get. <laughs> I forgot with Barbies, but I had four sisters and I'm just remembering. I was really into like the realistic Barbies that I would make. So I would like shave their heads and make them like cancer survivor parties. <laughs> yeah, you, I was dark. We'll, we'll, um, we'll unpack that part of your yeah. psyche on another episode, okay? <laughs> but I love Barbies. Maybe, you know, I, maybe I hated that I loved them and that's why I wanted to destroy them. Well <laughs> Yikes. Um, <laughs> we can edit that. Uh, so the response to your work, I think has been, I mean, it's really, really strong, right? You recently surpassed 50,000 followers on Instagram. You know, your Mask for Mask shirts are really cute and fun, and I hope you've sold lots of them. Actually, you're selling through them right now, right? Mm-hmm. Just a little they plug are for retiring. You. 
they're retiring. So if you want a mask for a mask shirt, you can go to heyrooney.com and buy one because you're not going to make one anymore. Nope. There we go. What's been like the most surprising response or maybe inspiring response to your work for you? I mean, yeah, initially I think I was just allowing myself to like be gay on Instagram and make gay art. It was me discovering gay culture. And I think I was really surprised to see how flamboyance and femininity was something either people should not be attracted to or at best, like not take seriously. And I, the response that it garnered like was so, so much more than I expected. And I feel now I'm, I'm paying a lot more attention to that realm of gay culture. And I want to like offer things for people to relate to. I mean, of course I'm always making it like for myself and out of my own, you know, from my heart, but I guess to offer representation I would say that you, for me, have often inspired me, probably without even knowing, definitely without knowing it, you know, like, I think that seeing you create these, this, this work and also just be yourself on Instagram for me has been like, okay, let go, Michael, like, be that little faggoty boy that you <laughs> want to be and just enjoy it because it's amazing. It's, you know, just as amazing as like that sense of strength that I think for so long I wanted to project out into the world. So there's depth. We have to add. <laughs> we got to get really a little. You and I are... We got to get a little sexual. So there's definitely like this innate jock fetish in your work. You, you know, don't maybe say. Even some BDSM. <laughs> you know, maybe even some BDSM. Are these actual fetishes of yours? Are these real kinks? Like, how did how did they come about? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking for your history. Yeah. Maybe I am. For, right. My herstory, girl. Like your browser. Yeah. Your herstory. <laughs> um, I had actually, last year, had decided I was just going to go to the Folsom Street Fair. It was my first time and only time so far. I would love to go back. It was amazing. I had never, I had illustrated sexy things in my work, I guess. There's like sexiness about it. But I had never like delved into that realm of things and I just had fun with it. I don't know if it's something that I myself am like delved into all the time, but I was just really fascinated by that culture and I guess that realm of like kink and I wanted to display it but not in not in its typical way, I guess. You know, you've got like this beefy guy gagged up, but he's like wearing a bow around his neck or something like that. Like I wanted there, what I didn't see in that culture was like some little pop of pink or femininity that I wanted to just sprinkle on. I just had a lot of fun with it and it's a uh, little bits of it have persisted kind of through my work till now, I guess. This was my first year going to Folsom and I felt like an observer in a lot of ways. I get jealous. I get really jealous actually of people with fetishes because I wish that I liked something enough that I would pursue it, you know, like I wish I liked to be pooped on so that I could just <laughs> really That'd be your indulge. Thing. That would be, yeah, that would be my, we all oh know. Oh my God, yes. No, I don't think it's poop. Um, <laughs> but it definitely allowed me to, I guess, feel a little bit more free in my totally. desires too. Like I felt free to just 
to try something that maybe I wouldn't normally try. But I definitely felt like an observer. I think that because the uh, Folsom is so intense and such a celebration of kink and sex and hedonism and also masculinity, it was a lot for me to take in. I'd like to think that I'd move from one place from being just an observer and spectator to a place where I'm actually a participant in some of the things that happen at Folsom. I think that's the beauty of San Francisco is that the energy there teaches you how to also be a, find a way to be a participant. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Not saying I'm trying to get fisted, but, you know. But why not? (laughs) I know. Moving on, I mean, we have just a couple more questions. One thing I wanted to hit on, like, mask for mask culture, as we've been discussing, is really rooted in internalized homophobia. And I wonder, you know, I I definitely had to work through a lot of internalized homophobia. Sure. I'm sure you experienced this at, at BYU and Utah. For people that are still going through this and people that are still trying to process their own masculine identities, I mean, what, what was your experience like moving through your, any type of internalized homophobia and anything you want to advise to people that are processing it still? Yeah, I mean, I think even I still am sometimes. I've haven't even been out like four years so it's comparatively all really new to me but I think growing up not even necessarily in just like a conservative culture I think a lot of people can relate to this even who like came out early is just the like fear of being too gay too gay for your parents acceptance too gay to be taken seriously too gay to and that like you grow up and begin like dating and now you're like too you fear you're gonna be too gay for the guy you like or too gay to get a job. And I think that's like a fear that people live with and even kind of have to deal with post coming out is that you want to be able to be yourself completely, whatever that means. Yeah, it's hard. I think you still catch yourself holding back here and there or butching it up in certain circumstances. I think we like to think the world has changed a lot and it's there has been a lot of progression and yeah, there has, but I still think gay men in general, particularly flamboyant ones, struggle to be valued the way masculine men even masculine gay men are and everyone wants to be valued everyone wants to be like i said taken seriously and it's it's a constant struggle to just demand that respect and demand that value for who you are without exception a little bit earlier we were discussing this and that homophobia is actually inherently sexist and hypermasculinity as well is sexist the reason I think that we resist the femininity is because we are still sexist towards women, that there's something about being a woman or viewed as a woman that is because we live in this terrible patriarchy that says that masculinity and being a man is what we are supposed to be. And, you know, women are viewed as inferior. And so there's definitely a relationship between not wanting to appear feminine because we are, we've been living in a patriarchy that has devalued women and has oppressed women and queer people and people of color for so long that it's scary to want to come out and be like, I'm a strong, powerful them bitch and get over it because <laughs> women are still struggling with this as well so when i say to you power verse what does that mean what's a power verse uh, <laughs> we know it, mean, it, can, it can take many forms uh, sure just i think it means, we just want to hear what yeah, we want to hear what your initial your initial your reaction and whatever position that lands you in is a good one honestly and you exactly, fully embrace yeah. each situation as it comes are you a power verse Sure. We all should be. I'm not telling people how to live, but we all should be. That's what we say too. It's like, we don't want to put you in any box or any label, except for you're supposed to be a power verse. It's just an empowering thing to be. That's what I'll say. (laughs) Absolutely. 
So what's next for you then? Are you working on any new series? Are there new projects or anything you can tease out? I've got a cute holiday series that'll be coming out. Yeah. That's like a little a little throwback to SNFM, a little a little nod to it. Cute. And then starting the new year I have a number of projects I wanna like get out. Which I would mention right now, but A, they're not fully developed, and I'm not sure which ones I want to do first. And I'm keeping, like, a little bit of mystery, too. But I'm excited. I feel I'm, like, adjusting to New York. I'm ready to, like, turn a page, go full force, and, and come out with what I hope is some really cool shit. Um, all right. I mean, that's all we've got. You should uh, check out all of Andy's merch and his work at his website. It's www.heyrooney.com including those Mask for Mask shirts, which are going to go quickly, I'm sure. Follow him on Instagram, at HeyRooney. And anything else? Anything else you want to plug? Uh, fem it up, girls. That's all I'll say. Yeah. That's it. Wow. That's our first episode. I'm excited. That was good. That was really great. <laughs> A special thanks to Sarah and Aram Arslanian at Kingsley Garden Music. Britt Ray, Ryan Ricketts, uh, Chris Barclay, Mike Nelson, and a special thanks to you, our listeners. We love you all. Our audience. You guys are cute. And of course, uh, our guest today, Andy Simmons. uh, He was amazing. He really was. You know, happy that we were able to have him. Follow us on Twitter at PowerversePC, on Instagram at PowerversePodcast, on Facebook at PowerVerse. And check out our website, www.powerverse.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-V-E-R-S.com, where you can listen to this podcast and in the future, all of our episodes of Powerverse. And we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, woofs, likes, ideas. You can also reach us at powerversepodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you heard today, please share it on social media. And we love reviews. Tell us what you think. Review us on Apple, please. And join us every Tuesday for a new episode of Powerverse. That's right. I'm RB. I'm Michael. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for listening to Powerverse. Powerverse.